Ladies and gentlemen, it's a Thanksgiving miracle. Joining me here at the Underground Bunker podcast today <laughs> is none other than Mike Rinder. Mike, thank you so much. Hey, Tony, it's nice to talk to you. I'm not sure about the miracle part of it, but, you know, it's, <laughs> well, a, it's miracle, always good to chat. <laughs> a miracle because you're so busy. I mean, it's amazing. I, I'm so fortunate. The day your book came out, you were in New York. Uh, right. It just, the stars aligned, and we got to have dinner the day your book came out. I can't believe it. I figured you'd be, you know, have so many things lined up. That was just a f- happy accident, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was also a, a very enjoyable meal. We always have a good time when we get together, Tony. Well, you know, <laughs> we get to gossip about things. and <laughs> Yeah. Little did we know then, that was what, September 26th or something like that? 27th, yeah. 27th, yeah. Little did we know what was in store for the two of us over the next oh, my God. month and a half. I mean... Uh, you have been on such an amazing media tour. And I guess the first thing, uh, first, let me just say for those few people that may not realize it, Mike Rinder is the former spokesman for the Church of Scientology. He came out in 2007 and then in 2009 began this amazing uh, exposure of Scientology with some other former high-ranking officials, and it has now culminated in a book he had published called A Billion Years, and it's taken the world by storm, and you have been on an amazing media tour. And I guess I want to ask you, um, first of all, I, I wrote about your book. It's a great book. I want everyone to buy it. And and I've already given some details about that. I guess I'm more interested in the meta story here. Tell me about the media tour. What are some of the highlights and some of the funny questions you've been asked. Oh, my God. Okay, well, I think that the highlight, let's start with the good, the positive, and then we'll, then we'll regress to the negative. I think the highlight was um, talking to uh, uh, Mike Rowe on his podcast simply because he is so well-informed on the subject of Scientology, and him and his sidekick, Chuck, uh, have been friends with Spanky forever. In fact, you know, that's that's how that sort of came about. Uh, in addition, Mike Rowe happens to have his books published by the same gallery press as my book was. So, uh, But that was a, a thoroughly enjoyable experience, talking to him, because... It's always great to talk to people who have their own perspective on things and don't just come with a list of questions like, well, uh, what do you know about uh, Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes' divorce? Um, uh, so he he was a highlight. Uh, Megan Kelly was a highlight simply because, you know, she has been so supportive of, me and some others who, you know, she has had on her show um, and is also very, very, very well-versed on the subject of Scientology. And the third one that I that I perhaps found the most um, entertaining and interesting was Patrick Bet David, just because he's such a contrarian. And he made me think about things and he challenged all sorts of stuff. And he takes the devil's advocate position on almost anything anybody ever says to him. And I found that somewhat refreshing. Um, There's been some other wonderful people that I've talked to. uh, But then there is the, the routine, you know, well, we see this book is out. We'd like to get you on our podcast or radio show or TV show or whatever. And, or, or interviewed for the, you know, the New York post or whatever it is. And those people got a cheat sheet from someone or made one up themselves and just ask the most uh, boringly mundane questions that, you know, are answered in the book. That That's one of the things that's sort of frustrating is people saying, oh, yeah, well, you've written this book. It's amazing. I loved it. And then they ask, so <laughs> when when did you get into Scientology? 
I'm like, <laughs> uh, you know, in the first pages of the book, it describes that. Uh, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> that stuff is a little frustrating, but the most frustrating of all was the CBS, you know, circle jerk. And that um, you wrote about on your blog because we talked about it that night. And I was like, you know, CBS now says that they're not going to air this this episode that we recorded last week tomorrow. And then eventually they did. And they had, you know, Maniki Yingling come on and they sort of bowed to the, to the pressure of Scientology and perhaps Paramount, obviously Paramount's the parent corporation of CBS, also of Simon and Schuster, but the parent corporation of CBS and, you know, keeping Paramount afloat, over the last six months was the revenues from Top Gun 2. So it's it's not entirely um, not understandable, but it's sort of sad that there are still media outlets who fear Scientology in, in this day and age. You know, you of all people have proven that the fear of Scientology is... Um, literally a bad memory, not a current state of affairs when it comes to, to publishing things in the press. Yeah. They're still good at frightening people though. In yeah. The, in I, the question. I, I know Tony, and that's what's sort of sad because uh, the, each of these media outlets have seen so many uh, examples over the last 10 or 15, you know, well, I guess since, since the Tam Tampa Bay times series, I guess that nothing has ever happened. Nothing has ever come of any of these endless legal letters and threats that they send out to anybody in the media ever. And that's gone from HBO to vanity fair to you, to the aftermath to, you know, everything and anything in between that, that it's not that they've stopped sending threat letters. It's just that everybody by now should have woken up to the fact that they are merely threats. <laughs> well, I don't have a problem with someone like CBS bringing on Monique Yingling because she's always so ridiculous on camera anyway. And anybody who thinks about it for two seconds, why can't Scientology have a Scientologist on camera instead of this, DC tax attorney, but did it, did it cut into your time? That's, I guess that's the big question. Yeah, of course. I mean, the more, the more minutes, like I did an almost two hour interview with Jim Axelrod and mm. it, I knew that it was going to be cut down to, you know, eight to 12 minutes or whatever a segment is on a show like that. It's not right. long, but if you're then cut in half because the other half of the segment is listening to Monique, then it's that. But like, I don't care. It, it wasn't that I cared so much about what happened. I, I appreciated the fact that Jim Axelrod actually pushed her and forced her to admit that Scientology actually does have billions of dollars. Um, but I was disappointed that anybody in the major media still falls for their bullshit. Yeah, it is. A, it is a shame because um, I think the last time they actually sued a media corporation was the Washington Post in 1995 over a Richard Leiby story. And that got dismissed just like the Time Magazine one did. Yep. But they're That's still correct. they're still scaring people, and uh, it's just a shame that that you know these places fall for it. Um, but on the other hand, wouldn't you say though that I mean part of what you and I and Leah and so many other people have done the last well since you came out is try to educate the rest of the media a little bit. Wouldn't you say though that the questions in general? are better now than maybe they would have been if you wrote this book when you first came out? Oh, absolutely, Tony. There is no doubt. The, the, the climate um, in the media and generally in the world with respect to Scientology has shifted dramatically. 
Can you imagine, Tony, 10 years ago, two political candidates getting into a slugfest about whether whether they had more shit to, to talk about Scientology than the other guy? That's just incredible. And just for those few people who don't know what Mike's talking about, <laughs> in the middle of all this, while he's got this book on sale, uh, there was a mayoral race in, in Los Angeles, and Rick Caruso, the former Republican running as a Democrat, accused his uh, opponent, Democrat Karen Bass, of basically being in bed with Scientology by <laughs> showing footage from 12 years ago when she was at the opening for the Ideal Org there, which we had written about a couple of years ago. It came up earlier, and it's clear that she made a very bad decision by going and doing that speech. But, you know, that she has nothing to do with Scientology today. But Rick Russo, who was trailing, saw an opportunity, and so he, he, he made an attack campaign ad out of this <laughs> and so here was this vicious material about scientology in a campaign ad and so she then answered by denouncing scientology as much or more as he did so you had both candidates for la mayor trying to outdo each other with how much they've characterized the church of scientology as a festering boil on los angeles <laughs> Oh yeah, and and almost as amusing was the reaction and response from Scientology. Oh my God, the haters and bigots are out. The bigots and haters are out. Oh my God, and you know, <laughs> Jeff Pomerantz with his his, uh, they pulled the old warhorse out of retirement to go stand on that overpass in Los Angeles where the anti-Semitic banner was hung after the Kanye fiasco and he's standing up there saying I'm a Jew I'm a Jewish Scientologist and you know this is just like the anti-Semitism oh my god it was crazy their reaction crazy I guess the strangest result of all that uh, Sunday night before I flew back to LA I had back to New York I had dinner with my brother we went out to watch a little football and there's, you know, I'm, I'm watching this gigantic screen in this sports bar and there's David Miscavige. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, yeah. can you imagine how much money they have spent keeping oh. that thing afloat? The Scientology TV that has absolutely no audience anywhere and they are paying to keep it on direct TV on a direct TV channel that nobody ever goes to, it's incredible what they must spend. And it, uh, oh my God, the amount of money that is being poured down the toilet on that, and you know that's not even talking about all the other stuff. My my big hobby horse favorite campaign item on Scientology is how much. Uh, U.S. taxpayer money is being used to subsidize these activities of Scientology that are in violation of public policy. Public policy is a really, really important thing that people need to understand about what a tax-exempt organization must maintain. And it's become sort of my go-to topic. So now I'm going to bring it up with you because... The requirement from the IRS, there are four basic fundamental things that you have to maintain in order to maintain your tax-exempt status, and one of them is not be in violation of public policy. And this is a really vague, you know, gray area with respect to how the IRS enforces that regulation with the exception of one thing, which is based on a U.S. Supreme Court case, uh, Bob Jones University, where they lost their tax-exempt status because they were racially discriminating on their entrance policies to, in order to get into the university. And, and so the IRS and, you know, people in the area of tax law have sort of decided that the only violation of public policy that is really... Uh, clearly delineated is racial discrimination. And if you're not racially discriminating, then you're not in violation of public policy. Well, it cannot possibly be public policy, i.e. the good of society, to have a tax-exempt organization spending money 
to destroy people, to hire private investigators to destroy the lives of people, to pay for Google ads to, uh, you know, shoot and produce smear campaign videos constantly on people, to, you know, hire lawyers to send threat letters to people. All of this stuff is not is not normal. It is not what society expects a tax-exempt organization should be doing. And so, therefore, it is in violation of public policy. And this is the easy-peasy, I, I say that in, in, in air quotes, way for the IRS to review and revoke Scientology's tax-exempt status because there is no doubt that they are doing these things and there is no doubt that they are spending money, a lot of it, to do these things. And this is the opening that the IRS should be driving their truck through to go collect the cash. Yeah, I mean, I always tell people there's... There's no lack of evidence that Scientology is in violation of its IRS agreement or that should have its tax exempt status. It's always the will of yes. the regulator is is the number one question. When when is the IRS going to have enough complaints from the public that they're actually going to do something? And you know, I I took it as a good sign that this new administration had decided to beef up the IRS somewhat. Um, I'm hoping that might help. But um, yeah, and. It's it's so blatant. The, the money they're spending is just amazing. Yes, it is crazy, Tony. It is just and and I keep repeating over and over. If you are a U.S. taxpayer, you are subsidizing this. Yep. <laughs> but the but I, I sort of want to tie it back to what we were talking about before of the L.A. mayor's race because. Ultimately, this is going to become a political football for someone. Someone is going to take this up and go, oh, I can gain political points by shouting in Congress or wherever that the IRS needs to do something about this. And uh, as more voices join that chorus, that is what regulators and particularly the IRS responds to. They respond to two things. Pressure from Congress, particularly anybody on the House Ways and Means Committee who oversees their budget, and media, i.e. Wall Street Journal and New York Times, pretty much those two. That, that's what they respond to. And so it is my objective to keep pushing and pushing and seeking out members of Congress and trying to get uh, someone to stand up and say, we need to do something about this, and it is an important thing for the taxpayers of the United States to have this resolved because we shouldn't be subsidizing these these violations of public policy. Well, uh, the result of that fight in L.A. was that Karen Bass managed to squeak by Rick Caruso, and she's now going to be the next mayor of Los Angeles. So, you know, she now has an opportunity to do something. She has those connections in Congress. You, I think you said something um, about this uh, at your Facebook or at your blog about Karen Bass. Can you tell us anything about how her becoming the mayor might actually help? Well, uh, you know, I can't, I can't um I can't go into great detail about it but I did say on my blog and it is true that when uh, you know 2 years ago this whole thing first came up you know the daily caller or someone put some put some uh article Breitbart it was Breitbart or Breitbart yeah what so, some uh conservative media outlet uh revisited the the Karen Bass uh, going to the ribbon cutting of uh, of the first or the second or the third reopen re reopening of the ideal org in Los Angeles. Um, she reached out to me and Leah and mm. we spoke to her extensively and to her staff and she asked to get 
she asked us to help her get educated. And she watched a bunch of the Aftermath shows. She talked to us at some length. She asked us a whole lot of questions about things and even um, sort of said, you know, what, what can I do to make up the, you know, for, for having done this? And because she felt very bad about it once she really did understand, you know, you gotta, people have to really kind of get what happens in, in the world of politics and what these politicians are like. And, you know, they have 17 or 20 people circulating around them, telling them, well, you need to do this today and you need to do that. And this person checks this out and that person checks that out. And they just sort of show up and they do, they, they get handled a little speech. They do the little speech. They move on to the next thing. They don't really know what they're doing. That's, and I'm not saying that as an excuse because they should, you know, seriously, they should. And she took a lot of, lot of shit about the fact that she first came out and her first reaction was to say, oh, well, I wasn't really aware of things, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, everybody piled onto her and said, well, you know, there was Time Magazine, there was this, there was 60 Minutes, blah, 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 blah. You should have right, known. Right. And yes, of course, she should have. But to her credit, she didn't just uh, turn around and do nothing. She turned around and reached out to Leah Remini and Mike Rinder and oh, asked great. us, what, tell me the real story here. What's going on? And I explained to her how these things are done. And she's like, oh, yeah, well, that's exactly what they told me. You know, we support anti-drug programs. We're education. We're blah, blah. They, they, you know, the Scientology aspect when they're trying to pitch to these uh, politicians or, you know, community leaders is way in the background. It is all about... We're for morals. We clean up Hollywood Boulevard. We do this, all you know, all the little PR bullshit that they do. That's what they they tell these people. They're they're supporting. In any event, she then, um, in fact, followed through on a number of things that she said that she could do. And if you just listen to what I said about what we need or what I am pushing, you'll get an idea of where that her assistance was very helpful. And there are some people who are now engaged in this matter who are in positions to be able to actually do something. And I can't really say anything more about it than that, but I do have hopes that now she becomes the mayor of Los Angeles, that perhaps the cozy relationship between the Los Angeles police department and Scientology will uh, be terminated. Especially after Corey Palka, the revelations about oh. the corruption in the Hollywood division. I mean, this is this is sort of becoming a perfect storm for Scientology in Los Angeles. Yes, it is, Tony. It is. I mean, they've got they've got uh ninety-nine problems and uh you know Leah Remini is only one. <laughs> Well, it's, and listen, it's, it's it's raining and pouring and snowing and hailing. It is a lot of stuff happening all at once. And 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 the thing is, we have been watching Scientology in Los Angeles die for years now. I mean, you know, this is one of the themes that I've been following is the shift from LA to Clearwater yes. as far as the main power in Scientology. So Scientology's been withering on the vine in LA. So for them to come out with this new ad series where they're acting <laughs> like they're the lifeblood of the city and you can and see those of us that know that see I know where they got all those video clips and they're they just cobbled something together really quickly with Miscavige's opening statement from tele, uh, Scientology TV 4 years ago. Plus, yep. they've got they've got like sanitation stuff from the pandemic that they didn't know what to do with two years ago that they're now recycling into this video. I mean, it's it's such a bizarre pastiche, and they're putting that out to say, you know, this we we are we are the major part of L.A. When the truth is, Scientology is just a shell of what it once was in L.A., and it's a much better time for someone like Karen Bass maybe some new LAPD leadership 
to take a hard look at it. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And I'm, I'm hopeful that that will happen. And even if we don't hear about it publicly, I'm hopeful that that will happen because I don't think, look, look, one of the things that Scientology hasn't yet figured out is if you, um, particularly in political life, if you in some way do something to someone, you entice them to, to participate or trick them into participating in something, or you're not really fully, you don't really, really explain exactly what it is that's going to happen. And then it blows up. That person becomes an, an, a literally an enemy and they never forget. They just never forget. And it's the same thing in the media. Uh, you know, you mistreat uh, someone like the, the, the absolute classic example of this from my perspective is a reporter named Doug France who worked at the, the um, New York Times and was reporting on the IRS case. And Doug France was brought to L.A. and sat in a room with, I, I don't know, about eight lawyers and Marty Rathbun and me and various other people and like hammered, like hammered about he was a bigot, he was a hate, you know, the typical Scientology stuff. Well, Doug France was just a, a, a reporter, a good reporter who was doing his job and he was getting like personally abused over the job that he was doing. Well, Doug France, many, not so many, but some years later, ended up being an editor at the LA Times and then the editor of the features section and then the, I didn't even know where he ended up, like the managing editor of the LA Times or something. And you just... He will never forget that experience and it will color and it did color his view of Scientology and anything related to Scientology for all time. And anybody who wanted to publish something in the LA times about Scientology had to, had to be aware of Doug France's history with Scientology and that influences how that coverage goes. And it's going to be the same thing with Karen Bass. And it is the same thing with a lot of other people who have been hoodwinked or tricked or whatever into supporting Scientology somewhere. And then it is blown up in their face. They don't forget that stuff. And, and that has generated or built a world of uh, uh, sort of a network of people out there who all maybe don't speak loudly and aren't shouting from the rooftops or doing a daily blog like you do, Tony, or whatever, but the chickens come home to roost. They just do. And this is what we are seeing in Scientology. Look at Clearwater. You know, you're exactly right. Scientology is trying to consolidate in Clearwater. But now look what happened. They have a referendum. And that referendum overwhelmingly passes to build the exact thing that Miscavige, you know, tried so desperately to prevent being built across the street from the Fort Harrison, a multi-story condo block that is going to have binocular views right into (laughs) the people swimming in the Fort Harrison swimming pool. Wow. Uh, You make excellent points, Mike. That's exactly right. I think the press has kind of had it with Scientology. But I have to ask you about one press uh, phenomenon that's been going on lately. You know, I've been in Los Angeles for this trial. Yep. The Danny Masterson trial. And... You know, Scientology has been a big part of that case, Um, and particularly in the way that the women were affected, the victims, alleged victims of Danny Masterson, were affected by Scientology's policies and, you know, that told them that they could not turn in a fellow Scientologist. You know, this has been a big part of the case. And, you know, it came up again and again. 
And so you've got these ma- – I'm sitting in the back row there with these other reporters from these major outlets. And, of course, they – you know, if I send a request for response from Scientology, they never get back to me. But these guys do get responses. And yep. they will ask, you know, hey, today Jane Doe 1 said that she was told by the ethics – I mean the Celebrity Center not to go turn in Danny because it's against the policy. And every day here's Karen Powell from Scientology – saying that's not a policy in Scientology. We encourage people to turn in, uh, people to law enforcement. And Mike, it's just such a bald-faced lie. It's right there in the ethics book. <laughs> I mean, you were once in this position. What, what, is, what is Scientology thinking that they can just lie outright to these major media organizations day after day and there's never going to be any consequences for it? Well, that's what they think, Tony, because that's why they do it. Like, it's sort of the, you know, the Tommy Davis syndrome of, well, there's no such thing as disconnection. Like, people don't actually kind of credit the fact that, that Scientology will blatantly lie. It, it, it's like one of these things of dealing with with a sociopath or a sociopathic organization. You can't quite get your wits around. They just lie. They just will just bald face lie. Yes, they will. Seriously, they really will. Yes, they will. And you know, you they have a justification for this. They have you know they pass the language in the high crime to say uh, you know. Because it says preventing someone from practicing or standard Scientology or whatever, that that's that uh, excludes this. Yeah, right, of course, it's right. all bullshit. Look, I have said uh, a lot of times because I've been obviously asked about this quite a lot. Forget whether, forget the language of the high crimes. Forget the you know passing the sentence structure uh, of uh, does this really mean that a Scientologist can never uh, report anybody to law enforcement? Blah 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 blah. Which is where they try to go. They try to go to the let's break down the sentence and see if it really says this. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I want I want to take a, a step back from that because the the bigger picture here, Tony, is what does L. Ron Hubbard say about getting into the hands of law enforcement or prosecutors or the court system or judges or whatever? That they're all wogs, that they are corrupt and criminal, that putting anybody in the hands of the WOG justice system is a, a fate almost as bad as being put into the hands of psychiatry. And in fact, psychiatry actually influences and controls all of that. That the only thing that will solve a, the, the tendencies of a criminal is Scientology. Dianetics and Scientology, that's the only way that you can save someone who has criminal tendencies. So Scientologists believe, and this is true of every single Scientologist on Earth, that it is immoral to turn a Scientologist over to law enforcement because you are condemning them to a terrible fate where they can never be uh, saved from their criminal urges and evil intentions. By Scientology. Only by Scientology. Only within Scientology will that be able to happen. So, take the example of Danny Masterson. Scientologists believe that if Danny Masterson is turned over to law enforcement, he will be condemned to eternal hell. This is the worst thing that could possibly happen because he won't be able to get any auditing. He won't be able to get any sec checking. He won't be able to get any ethics handling. He won't be able to be dealt with by the only real fair justice system, which is contained in the 
Scientology writings of L. Ron Hubbard. So forget about whether there is a a past sentence that's uh, and that's P A R S E D past sentence about whether a Scientologist can report someone to civil authorities or not. Scientologists believe that it's wrong to do it. Right. That is just that is Scientology think. And I found it very, very amusing that in response to something I said somewhere, I think it might have been on Nightline or Court TV or someone, Corinne Powell put out a statement saying, well, you know, if there was anything untoward that happened with respect to Danny Masterson and his alleged victims, that was on Mike Rinder's watch. Oh, and I'm like, oh, well, that's great. So you are actually acknowledging that this was a matter for the Office of Special Affairs? Like, just so you know, Tony, I never heard about any of this when I was in OSA. People think I knew everything about anything, anywhere, all the time, always. I did not, and that's a partly a reflection of the Scientology sort of uh, morality, ethnic uh, thing that you don't ever report a flap up the lines. You try and contain it. You try and keep it out of the hands of people who may be more senior to you because you'll get in trouble for having had a flap. So... For whatever reason, I never heard about this at the time. I didn't hear anything about this until I started talking myself to some of those victims. Mm. And I did, however, respond and say, well, thank you for realizing or acknowledging that this would have been a matter that was dealt with by OSA. So I will explain to you what the OSA policy and how OSA would handle a situation like this. And it would be a never report it to anybody outside of Scientology B round up every witness and every report and every, everything that had ever had, touched upon this subject, get it all corralled. I even mentioned, you know, we did an episode with Marie Billheimer about her husband who had committed suicide in the Hollywood Inn on right. Hollywood Boulevard. He was in the Sea Org. And her talking about what happened and how Kirsten Catano from OSA showed up in the Hollywood Inn and gathered everybody together and hustled them away so that the police wouldn't be able to talk to them and told Marie, this is what you can say, and you're not allowed to say this, and you're not allowed to go here, and had complete and utter control over it. And the, re the only reason the police were there is because there was a dead body and they had to call the, the you know coroner's office or whoever you have to call. So... This is the standard pattern and practice of Scientology. It is to disappear the witnesses. The people who uh, are involved and may have evidence that could incriminate Scientology, oh, suddenly they're in Denmark or Australia or Mexico. And we saw this happen in the Lisa McPherson case. Those uh, A bunch of the witnesses in the Lisa McPherson case suddenly had their visas expired and had to go back to Guatemala. So this, this is normal Scientology practice. And, you know, I think that Judge Almedo has done a great service to the potential appeal issues in this case by trying to limit the Scientology exposure. Mm -hmm. But as I told Vinnie Politan on Court TV the other night when he was asking me, well, what do you think is going to happen uh, if he's guilty or not guilty? And I gave him my view of that. And then I said, but let's not forget there's a civil case coming behind this. And even if he is found not guilty in this criminal case, you all remember what happened with O.J. Simpson. Because, yeah. of course, in that same courthouse, O.J. Simpson got found not guilty and then got completely and utterly obliterated in the civil case. And when you have a civil case where you have depositions and discovery, a very different procedure than what happens in a criminal proceeding, uh, 
The depositions of the witnesses in this case and the people surrounding this case and the discovery that is going to go on is going to be seismic. Well, just is, I mean, just the Lisa Marie Presley thing alone. Oh, oh. And, and she and, and we all know she's just one. But yes, that was like when you when you put that on. on Twitter to begin with and then on your blog I was like holy shit <laughs> holy shit this is going to be a bloodbath so that's coming in the civil case because we know the civil case is going to go forward they haven't managed to entirely you know uh, smash that into the Scientology quote unquote arbitration world so right. That that is going to be fascinating. It is, um, yeah. I mean, it's going to take a while, but um, but for, for now, we have a jury that needs to come to a decision. Mike, I, I don't know. I know. You know, I, I, I did want to share one. The the one thing that I thought it would have been fun if you'd been in the courtroom with me was, you know, the whole time, all the reporters kept asking me about, do you see any? representatives from Scientology here. Uh, I, would, I would point every once in a while this Dylan Millar would come in. He's a colleague of Vicky Podbereski's. Right. And then there was this one attorney we all kind of suspected was a representative. And then Jeffrey Augustine happened to notice on the guy's phone the name Vicky Podbreski pop up. So we we knew. But you know and and for those who don't know, Vicky Podbreski's this longtime attorney who's who's worked for the science for Scientology for many years. She was at the preliminary hearing. But for some for some reason, she kept away from the trial to try to, I guess, disguise the fact that Scientology was keeping an eye on it. But then the last the the day of closing arguments and and the first day of deliberations, when it was no longer any reason to you know disguise it anymore, Vicky Bobreski came in. She not only came into the courtroom, Mike, she was literally hugging Mastersons. Oh my God! And I said, look, there's nothing wrong. With, with Scientologists hugging a Scientology attorney. But it just seemed so bizarre and blatant. And I would love to have seen your reaction if <laughs> you've seen that. Yeah. Well, I would have loved to have been there. I, yeah. I you know, I don't think that there is any doubt that the, that, that Danny Masterson and Scientology are one and the same thing when it comes to this case. They have sought to keep their distance, and I think that that's because uh, if he's found guilty, they don't want to be... They want to be able to say, oh, we didn't have anything to do with this. We've, you know, he's a, he's a wayward, couldn't live up to our ethical standards. We threw him out 15 years ago. You know, yeah. all the typical stuff. Right. And uh, I, I think that when the civil case comes and obviously Scientology is going to be a much bigger element in the civil case that we are going to see, oh, the, you know, 12 Scientology lawyers showing up and doing all the talking. Uh, you know, it was fascinating to watch. I, I went to the hearing in in the um, Baxter uh, Valeska. Yeah, I was going to I was going to ask you your impressions about uh, Judge Barber. This is the there's a there's a trafficking uh, labor trafficking case in Florida filed by three former Sea Org officers, including Valeska Paris, that's active right now in Tampa, and uh, both sides asked for oral arguments on these uh, arbitration motions, Scientology has filed so they had a hearing this past week and you went and so i'm i've read about i've read mark bunker's description of the scene which was kind of wild but i wanted to ask you your impression what did you think of this judge barber um i thought that he was a smart uh well uh informed not not fully yet informed about everything, but uh, uh, a a good. I think he's just a good judge. This is the first time I've ever seen him. I listened to what he had to say 
he was not impressed by a bunch of things and basically said, you know, you're ridiculous to some of the arguments made by Bill Foreman, who who takes these inordinately ridiculous black and white scenarios and just says, like, puts himself in a weird position. You know, the judge gives him a hypothetical about, you know, and Bunker said this about someone being on video with a gun held to their head, signing a document and whether that wasn't, whether that would consider to be duress. And he says, no, not in this, not, not uh, for the purposes of this case, your honor. I was like, huh, (laughs) seriously, you actually said that, but this is a, this is a, a, such a terribly tricky issue for the courts and, and, in one hand, uh, tricky because of the First Amendment and the law that has been created that, you know, and, and you hear these Scientology lawyers, oh, well, Your Honor, you know, courts are not allowed to get into this. They're not allowed to pass judgment about our internal procedures and activities. And, you know, that's true. It, it, you know, I rail against the the conservative federal courts and Supreme Court that have created laws that are right so in favor of the religious entities and so uh, lacking in any recognition of the First Amendment rights of the victims, but he has to weigh uh, a lot of things and uh, also the fact that every judge is always looking to get rid of cases and a lot of case law about arbitration basically says, look, we think arbitration is a wonderful thing and we try, we're trying to protect it as much as we can because we don't want cases in front of us. We'd rather have it in front of an arbitration panel because then we don't have to deal with it. And the, of course, the big thing missing in, in any of these discussions is there's no such thing as a fucking arbitration in Scientology. It does not exist. Right. It is not an arbitration. It is not anything remotely similar to that. And Scientology walks in and says, well, Your Honor, we say that it is, and it's based on the policy of, uh, you know, committee of evidence. And, you know, and you read the committee of evidence policy letter and you go, wait a minute, this isn't anything like an arbitration. And, the arbitrators don't even get to decide the the outcome. It has to be approved by the IJC, who's a party to the arbitration. Like, how ridiculous. You can't go there. You're not allowed to make determinations about our religious beliefs and practices, and that's what this is. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. The difference here is the argument is that... Uh, really a contract is unenforceable if it was signed under duress and you know it's pretty interesting to to see the argument that scientology makes which was effectively look these people were doing what they were told they were obedient sea org members so they got told to sign a contract that they didn't read that's a part of being a member of a religious order. This is, and you can't, you can't second guess us about that. And if they were fearful of what might happen if they didn't sign it, tough. We get to decide. Their choice was to leave. They could always leave freely. I mean, you hear this stuff and it's like, oh my God, please, please shut this up. It's just, it's so not true. But that that's actually the the argument that Bill Foreman was making in front of Judge Barber, saying, "Look, you know, okay, they say it's duress that they were going to be thrown in the engine room or they were being kept locked in a room, and Laura Baxter was having to urinate in a, a waste basket because she wasn't allowed out of her room. Well, this is really not any different than you know a monk being." sent to his cell and nobody talks to him and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, well, it is a little different here. You know, these were children who were raised in Scientology and that's all they ever knew. And I think that some of those points really did 
get through to him. Mm -hmm. But you never know with a judge what they're really thinking. Uh, you know, I, on the other hand, he was pretty, pretty, pretty clear about David Miscavige and the service of David Miscavige. I mean, he was so um, sort of uh, like he said, I've got this this big long motion here about serving a, a David. How do you pronounce his name? How do you pronounce his name? And none of the Scientology lawyers said, none of them responded. They didn't even want to say his name out loud. Wow. I mean, seriously. So, so one of the one of the plaintiffs' lawyers says, "Miscavige," and he says, "Okay, Mister Miscavige, uh, you know, what are we doing here? I I've never had anything like this before me. I've never had this before me." And then he says, "My my question is, so if we fully brief this motion because." You know, the plaintiff's lawyers are waiting for three return um, of registered mail receipts to come in before they can they can have a fully ripe motion to serve through the secretary of state or what, you know, whatever the procedure is. And he says, yeah, but once that's happened, are, are we supposed to have a hearing? Like if I have a hearing on this, is anybody showing up from the other side? <laughs> And the lawyer for RTC says, uh, "Your Honor, I don't. We, I, I'm representing RTC. I do not represent Mr. Miscavige." And he says, "I didn't ask you that. I asked you, is anybody going to show up?" And he says, "Well, Your Honor, yes, of course we'll show up because we're interested in it. But I'm not representing Mr. Miscavige." And he's like, "I've never seen any. I've never had anything like this. Either you're served or you're not served." I like he was really really unhappy clearly unhappy about this and that this was waste consuming his time dealing with this ridiculousness so i don't think it looks good for for uh dave with respect to ending up in front of judge barber the question will be will there be a case in front of judge barber or is he going to punt and say, this needs to go to arbitration, so it's out of my hands. Yeah, that's the thing I'm worried about, is that I remember how I got my hopes up about Judge Stephen Clyfield in L.A. Yeah, Because it was kind of a very similar situation where he was asking very good questions about uh, Scientology's arbitration, and one of the things he said was that uh, the Federal Arbitration Act or something made reference to commerce, and he literally asked, what is Scientology's commerce? What, what, what is the business here? And yeah. it, it was so amazing. And Scientology, and the other thing that you were getting close to there I wanted to also bring up is that Foreman in that case, and it sounds like Foreman in the, the hearing you were at, when you put them on the spot, they will come out with pretty amazing statements of, how Scientology really feels about its employees and stuff. I mean, they they aren't shy about well, when they have to talking about how we can do whatever we want to these people. It you, you can't stop us. You can't look into these things. It doesn't matter if we're harming them. I mean, they will say it if you if they have to. Yes. So uh, you know, and so I remember getting really excited because Clyfield seemed to be really exposing this. And then he came back and said, no, nah, contract's a contract. And I so know. I, I, I just, I, I hate to get my hopes up too high with Barber because he seems to get it, but there's that heavy precedent hanging over him in the same courtroom from the Garcias. Yep. And so I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I just, I, I hope that, uh, I have to say that the filings from the uh, from their uh, Valeska's attorneys, what's the name of the the main guy? Uh, Neil Glazer. Neil Glazer. Bump. These filings are just top notch. Oh yeah, I mean, so well researched and written, and uh, you know, and especially after the experience we've had some from some previous attorneys. Yep. Um, this has been. It seems to me they're really, you know, Valeska and the Baxters. We're rooting for you, but you got to know you have some great representation. Oh, and, they do. These uh, these guys are are really, really good lawyers. Yeah. 
I mean, they they took they they were the civil lawyers in the in the the Val the Keith Raniere case, the Nexium stuff. Yeah. Yep. Right. Wow. Okay. Well, um, let me ask you one. Uh, let me go uh, crazy direction. Yep. So uh, Marty Rathbun reviewed your book, Mike. He didn't. He didn't like it very much. Oh, he did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you haven't seen it? No. Oh gosh, I think it's the first post at his blog in about a year and a half. No kidding. Than, little more than a year, and um, it's just uh, he's basically saying you're not the big deal you think you are. Which... <laughs> 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 oh, that's so funny. I, I should pull out Marty's post about Mike Rinder. He's a better man than I. That's right. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty funny. No, I know it's it's uh, well, it's just it's kind of a sad story, isn't it? I, I mean, see Mosey's on some baking show now. Yeah, uh, you know, I I haven't said anything about that just because, um, you know, good for her. I don't I don't want people to think that it's a Scientology story at all. I mean, she's. I hear you. I hear you. I and I was bringing it up just to sort of be. Um, like I, I don't have anything useful to say about Marty. I, I yeah. just don't. Other than I honestly, Tony, I wish him and that family well. I was very sad to hear that Mosey had cancer. I loved her. I, I still do. I married those two, Tony. That's right. They're, they're like, I really, really, um, sh- I have nothing bad to say about Monique in any way, shape or form. And I never will. And I hope that their, their son is doing well. I hope everything is going fine. And I'm, you know, Marty is a, is a subject of, of sadness to me, not angriness. Well, that's the thing is he came out and, and it's just, you know, just a t- viciously attacked you and Leah and me and uh, so many other people. Claire Headley. I mean, Claire Headley. <laughs> and I, I just, the reason why I'm more sad about it than angry is that it was so fun hanging out with that dude. I mean, he and I would spar, you know, I mean, he would get angry at me with some of the way I would write some things, but that was part of the fun of it. You know, he, yes. he was, he was so fun to, to, to talk to and argue with and, Monique was so fun and she would spar with me too. She didn't like the way I wrote some things, but that was all part of the fun of it. And that's the the sad thing for me is not the stupid things he says about me. I don't care, but that, you know, we lost this person that was such a fun person to, you know, battle with. Yeah. And also such a great person to have on the team. Like, he was he he had information about things and experiences that few other people had then and could talk about them personally and did constantly and his experiences with miscavige and with the lawyers and the lawsuits and the the media and etc etc and he was very, very revealing about a lot of things that nobody had ever heard about in the world of Scientology before. So, yeah, it's sad. But I hope he's he's doing okay. I really yeah. do. Yeah. Well, that David Miscavige money can go a long way, I guess. Yep. <laughs> can. <laughs> Well, listen, Mike, I hope you and the family have a wonderful Thanksgiving and um, I'd love to get back down there and see you again one of these days. Oh, I'm sure that'll happen. Or I'll be back in New York again. We'll, we'll, we'll catch up. This, yeah, time we... you, this time you're bringing your wife. Next time you're bringing <laughs> your wife. I haven't seen her for I don't know how long. <laughs> I, you know, and I was just thinking the other day about that first trip I made down there 10 years ago. And, yep. and got to, we sat down and I interviewed you and, and did some on, on video. And, and I remember what a, what a, what a panic it caused over at the Tampa Bay times that I was talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, enough, enough, enough. Okay, sir. Keep going. Great stuff. If you haven't read Mike's book, please pick it up. 
the billion years simon and schuster right yep and yep. uh it's uh, it's getting picked up on all these end of the year best books of the year lists now which is great to see and yeah and it is it, it's very gratifying and again the thing that just uh, i found so remarkable about your book was its breadth i i remember i was about four chapters in and i'm just you know this is so well written and so it's such a great story being told i'm thinking wait a minute mike you're only up to 1970 how are you <laughs> going to get to 2022 there's no way but you do somehow you manage to get the whole story in and and i think if anybody wants a great basic education in the history of scientology and trying to understand this crazy organization, you've just got to pick up Mike's book. Thank you, Tony. All right. And uh, thanks a lot for being on the podcast.